to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pictures to you. Hello listeners, and welcome to episode 95 of the Big Red Couch. It's time for the Death Robot. That time in every young man's life when his thoughts likely turn to those of Death Robots. Oh, that was a magical summer. <laughs> Indeed. Well. Should we introduce ourselves or something? I don't know if there's any point. I mean, it's death robot time. Well, what would we get out of Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Craig. And we're talking about death robots, apparently. And it took us 95 episodes to get to death robots. How about that? That's less time than I expected, to be honest. Yeah? It kind of felt like a triple figures thing to me. I don't know why. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, actually, if you want to look big picture... Within the next decade, we will see the first automated weapon system casualty on a battlefield, I bet you. It seems likely, yeah. Well, considering we've got Roombas mapping out the, the floor plans of homes and drones of all varieties either being expressly directed to, to drop munitions or just falling on people, it seems like a natural progression. I'm just wondering whether that, that casualty on a battlefield is actually going to be of the correct side whether it's going to be, as it were, an own goal or a bystander. Well, that's the thing about robots, right? Provided all the the, the checksums match out, it's a goal. It it, it takes all of the... Well, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't take the culpability out of friendly fire. It's kind of like, "Mm, there might have been a bug. Red, blue, you know, when when you're just measuring the nanometer Armstrong wavelength. It's all very similar. (laughs) Yeah, it was a fog that day. And if many, many episodes of science fiction... TV shows and various movies have taught me anything, and I, I, I think the jury's still out on that one. It's that the um, robots will inevitably turn upon their creators. So, you know, I just hope that that battlefield casualty, if it is an, an own goal, turns out to be the traditional bunch of arrogant and uh, pompous Pentagon types. And I say Pentagon types in the grounds of, yeah, the rear echelon motherfucker types who were there being annoying and advancing the test before it's ready. I mean, this happened a lot in Eureka from recollection. It probably is actually just going to be the one Corman who made the off-colour your motherboard joke and it'll go south from there. Very nice. Nicely done. So, with that bleak estimation of humanity's <laughs> impending doom, possibly attacked by knife-wielding Roombas. Wasn't there one of those in questionable content? I think it's been a, it was an internet thing for a time. People taping kitchen knives to various animate objects, including Roombas and crabs, and going, look, they're fighting. And then, oh God, it's after my leg. <laughs> what? Why does it know so much about tendons? Why is there a sequence of beeps saying, I'm going to gut you like it shows in Grey's Pathology? Who programmed that? Anyway, I think we've set the tone for the episode nicely. Indeed. For this one, the area that I am not going into is I don't want to pitch run or in any way come up with a game about euthanasia robots oh why not that sounds like a perfect kind of nordic larp thing they'd just be ecstatic well in a sort of somber way if there are any nordic larpers listening (laughs) please please write in and tell us how you would do a game about euthanasia bots that isn't horrible no, no, the, the point of Nordic Life is that it is horrible, and you experience the full grinding horror of the circumstance. So from what I've heard, they're very, very big on the authenticity and emotional content of the experience. Right. In that case, I might be steering clear of Nordic Art, because that, that sounds way too intense for me. It probably won't involve an actual death robot, but you know, maybe. I'm not sure now. 
So, setting aside euthanasia robot, what 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 did you feel was appropriate for our uh, uh, wonderful audience? I've got sort of an idea and a half. And so the idea is oddly the fault of the folks at Monkeys Took My Jetpack. Mm-hmm. I decided that I would go back and listen to just a few of the first episodes. Just one or two. Mm-hmm. And I'm up to like episode 22 or 23 at this point. So it looks like I'm just going to listen to all of them at this stage. That, that seems likely. They were doing a Funkadelic Frankenstein on the mean streets of Monster Town. And as a dumb fact for the episode, we discover that Prometheus Jones of the Prometheus Jones Detective Agency, Mm -hmm. when he was in college, was roommates with the Grim Reaper. That makes sense. Which then led me to think with this one, and also based a little bit on the radio series Old Harry's Game, of the idea that, you know, Reapers have been around... Well, practically forever, dealing with the whole reaping business. And I'm pitching this as a Funkadelic Frankenstein game. So it's set in 70s monster monster exploitation territory. Mm-hmm. Basically, other options are coming up for young reapers, other job options. You know, it used to be you're a reaper, you go into, as it were, the family business. All right. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. But there are other options now. And young reapers don't really want to go into that business. And so in, in an effort to keep, you know, keep the, the business uh, going, there was the apprenticeship scheme. That really didn't work out very well. So now with the advent of microelectronics in the 70s, they're trying a different approach and they're uh, going automated. Right, of course. Since, you know, the robots are there to do the jobs that humans won't do. Well, reapers won't do in this case. Yes, the death robot is the answer. And naturally, it's gone horribly, horribly wrong. Hmm. And so I rather like the idea of the Grim Reaper turning up at the Prometheus Jones detective agency, possibly during a thunderstorm or something, because that would always look good, then asking for their, their help because the experimental death robot has gone a little bit weird. Well, on the face of it, it seems like a good idea because, you know, the robots don't sleep or breathe. And, you know, they you know, probably only clanks and whistles a little bit at this point in technological history. I figure it'll look a little bit like a Walkman, like scaled up, but it'll have that sort of blocky plastic. Oh, right, right. Forward. So it's the same aesthetic as a Walkman. So, yeah, a little bit child's toy, a little bit to- yes. toyetic, but possibly, you know, it's just draped in a big oversized robe with bits of you know plastic and metal peeking out with the the cuffs and 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 under the hood perspex scythe possibly with a light up action right so in, in what way would the death robot have run amok as robots inevitably do i mean it's it, i'm sure every roboticist knows that they have to build in the runs amok section of the the, the programming it's like a base level thing at one point the <laughs> killing rampage red mist killing rampage driver <laughs> Yes, I, I did wonder in the movie Big Hero 6 why they had different coloured lights for the, the eyes of uh, of Baymax for, for, for when he went. Maybe that's a built-in like safety feature. It's like, if robot approaches you and it has red glowing eyes, it is currently in killing rampage mode. <laughs> Please act accordingly and get to a safe distance. Maybe they, since it is a, one of the other laws of robotics the obvious antithesis of the um, established laws, maybe they're just designing it in. It's like a safety, it's a safety feature. It'd be entertaining if there was basically, you know, the, the default state of the eyes is red, unless there is code running that is actively scanning all potential actions for breaches of the laws of robotics. Uh-huh. 
if the Asimov routine is running, then it deactivates the eyes. Otherwise, it doesn't. It's like a not conscious, but, you know, it's an active switch to make to go to a nice, friendly, reassuring green. So, and, you know, if, if you're instructing a robot to do something and it briefly flickers red, you're like, mm, maybe don't push it so much. Maybe, maybe be less of a dick to the robot. It could be useful. Yeah, feedback system. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, killing rampage a la Santa bot from Futurama nice. seems a bit boring. Okay. <laughs> I, I would go with that, but that's me. If you wanted to do this as a one-shot, then Deathbot has gone on Killing Rampage because it gives you the possibility of having a Killing Rampage where everybody gets better. As in... Well, if you assume this is this is a robot that is somehow going around and separating the soul from the body... Ah, right. Well, presumably if you knew what you were doing, given that the body, other than not having a soul in it, is basically okay... Right. You could presumably stuff it back in there. Uh, presumably the Reapers know what to do, but they, they can't sort the problem out and keep tabs on the rampaging death robot. So they need the um, Prometheus Jones Detective Agency to, to help them sort this problem. Okay, so, so they can speedily restore the situation to your normal mortal coil shuffling process. Mm. The other one, the if you're doing with a slightly longer campaign version, it would be kind of entertaining to have the situation of people just dropping dead, as it were, and then their ghosts continuing to hang around, basically reporting that they'd been they'd been murdered by the Grim Reaper, which of course is just a legal nightmare because how do you get murdered by death? That makes no sense. And then the actual Grim Reaper shows up and explains, Well look, here's what's going on. We try this automation thing and Okay. Because that, that, that sort of gives you your mid-plot twist of clearly the, the Grim Reaper has gone amok. He's gone rogue. Well, yes and no. He's subcontracting and he's having a bit of problem with the, um, the whole enthusiasm levels. Indeed. That ties in with something that I was uh, speaking with. A, a couple of people, in fact, an old, an old school, schoolmate of mine and somebody I talked to at dinner last night, both had a similar sort of idea. Rather than it, it's being... A, a robot for death it is the, a death that is robotic as in a character like possibly you know if you, if you want to offset the murderous rampage from your your, your first one is the suggestion that timo gave me was that the grim reaper is robotic it's not actually there killing anyone it's just stochastically predicting people uh, that people are going to die and then hanging around in a very kind of unsettling fashion Statistically speaking, you've been dead for 30 minutes, but since I've been staring at you, you haven't moved. Ah. And they were supposed to go outside and get run over. But instead, they're not moving because of the death robots there. The death robots staring at them. Possibly similar to the situation in the show Dead Like Me, where you've got Reapers turning up at the appropriate moment to effectively make the co- make the collection. Mm, mm-hmm. So I think in the case of the robotic system, either it's turning up and just staring creepily while it waits to make the collection, or if we if we go with the it's all gone horribly wrong, it's done some time and motion studies, figured out that this would be a lot more efficient if it simply used a predictive algorithm and made the collection a little bit earlier and sort of it could get around do its rounds faster and more efficiently. Yeah, you know, just bump up the pathing a little. I mean, eventually it's going to end up at the 2000 AD death judges thing of, well, this would be a lot easier if everybody was dead to start with. The greatest life, the sentence is dead. Yeah, that wasn't creepy at all. No, 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 not at all. Sorry. <laughs> P- particularly over a slightly crackly internet connection. That was, yeah, that, that was impressively soothing. Ugh. Ah, Judge Death. 
What a cuddly fellow. Which remind, reminds me very quickly of, I think it was for the 500, Prog. A couple of comedy kind of things that they did. The Judge Death one had him gasping and choking and so forth. And, so, and, and his would-be victims like, oh, you should have some of these these decongestant tombs lollies. He's like, ah, these are wonderful. And, and immediately squeezes the heart of the person who gave these things. And of course, the, the tagline is, tombs, help you bereave more easily. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> why? It's also the possibility that Demolish chucked me a cool short cartoon film called The Backwater Bible. It's basically like about a terrible rundown, possibly Western town, with an overzealous preacher and a series of unfortunate events seemingly spurred on by the fact that this crusty old guy and a flock of crows has just turned up in the middle of town and is wigging everyone out because it's obviously death. And the presence of the guy who is obviously death causes quite a lot of death. It's very interestingly animated, and it's like 3G sort of 3D animation wrapped in uh, illustrated textures. A style a little bit like Jamie Hewlett's, who's worked on Gorillas, a little bit like that. Maybe there's a little bit of inspiration there. He also also did the art for Tank Girl, so it's a little bit, it's, it's a little similar to that. But yes, it's quite well quite well animated, but in, in interesting. And the uh, creepy death guy is pretty creepy. I mean, I'm not sure how you take down a death robot because presumably. The robot is or can be somewhat incorporeal. Then mm. again, maybe that's the problem with the early the early version of it. Okay, yeah, if you're going for the out and out comedy, the death robot is programmed around the idea of being incorporeal, of being able to walk through walls and all that sort of thing and, <laughs> and go through stuff. But it actually isn't. So what it's actually doing is walking through walls. Yes. Yeah, you've got the family clustered around the bed. Somebody's about to breathe their last, and there's this smash as the robot walks through the wall, does something with the scythe, and then walks out through the other wall, possibly over the bed. Yes. Kaboom, clatter. So finding it isn't actually an issue. Yes. Or finding where it's been isn't actually an issue, but it seems to do that annoying thing of just completely vanishing the rest of the time. I can definitely see the idea, especially if it was a very boxy, like, tin toy kind of robot that just blunders through a wall, goes, be not afraid, they are in a better place, as it wills its scythe, you know, just like a helicopter blade, and then batters its way through the next wall, not onto its next uh, next appointed round. Well, we didn't think it would take on the mannerisms quite as wholeheartedly as it was. Go with sort of weird super science, so it's got its Jacob's Ladder or Tesla coil-powered etheric communicator, so there's sort of bolts of lightning going all over the room, lighting up the shade of the deceased as it talks to them. Have it genuinely and enthusiastically trying to do its job just in the least appropriate way. Yeah, just really, really bad at it. Kind of want to play in that now. That would be some fun. I'm not sure how you would... You'd probably want to literally make it unkillable. Somehow it has is, is adopted the mantle of death and is basically indestructible. So you've got to kind of talk it around, explain... How death is normally like a presence rather than... So you're basically trying to teach it subtlety. Maybe do the um, handsome Starfleet Captain logic bomb its mind or something like that. But, you know, the, the solution should be at least as ridiculous as the problem. I'd, I'd probably just throw it out there and let the players come up with a solution. Yeah. I mean... Oh, yeah, no, no. You've, you've got to... You, you encourage a, a solution as ridiculous as the problem. <laughs> that's, where you, that's where you're going. I, I had a bunch of players solve the problem of disco zombies using incredibly bland food at one point. Yes. Didn't see that one coming. Oh, you reminded me. I had a pad thai the other week. It was so Caucasian. Oh, it's like peanuts with like the flavor high note and the whole thing. 
It's the first time I've ever heard of food being described of as so Caucasian. It was whiter than I am. You'll agree, I'm pretty fucking white. So. Well, you do shun the, the sun and indeed strong reflections. You can't trust it. You don't know where it's been. Come on. So, yes, I think that's that's a bit of an amalgamation of the, the ideas that were suggested, uh, some of the ideas that were suggested to me. <laughs> yeah, I quite like several of the approaches for that. Somewhere between the overly efficient and the overly comic. You could cut the middle ground and have the robot. It's got the ethereal bit, but it hasn't got the invisible bit. And it just sort of comes in through the wall, leaving these horrifying robot-shaped scorch marks. If you were, if you were looking that way, you could see it coming. And it's like, it's just hoovering around the um, locality, picking up souls. But it's just, it's not good for business. It's just very upsetting for everyone concerned. I, I am loving the idea of the sort of the communication with the de- the deceased of do not be afraid your family cannot see me. Meanwhile, the family are clustered at the corner of the room, sort of pointing and screaming at the thing that they can obviously see. At least see the air ionizing around it. It might be invisible. Its impression on the world isn't. And it's sort of left the the comedy muscle march scorch mark on the wall as it goes through. Nice. This is a terrible game idea. It is. And I don't think it's our worst one yet because we did that a little while ago. There are some things you've got to, some bars you have to keep in mind. So, you know, you can, you're always reaching for those stars. I, I forget what our worst idea ever was. Oh, that was the, the genre hopping game. That oh, that! Like yeah. the players wrestling with a, an adversary across different genres. Not sure why. I think it was probably the most complicated and unwieldy idea ever. I don't think it's yeah. our most tasteless one. I think that's probably the uh, commoditized uh, anonymous intelligence aggregator uh, business business pitch. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or the Soylent Bubba one. The Soylent Bubba one is probably, yeah, that's, that's going to be hard to Where stop. you refuse to have anything whatsoever to do with the idea for entirely valid reasons. I thought, yeah, if there was anything I was going to nope out of, I thought, yeah. Soylent Bubba is a reasonable one to do, yeah. Okay, so after that bizarre little trip down memory lane. 95 episodes. There's a, there's a lot of scars, folks. Yeah. Uh, was that an idea and a half, or half an idea, or, or not the first half? That was an idea. I have a half an idea, but I maybe want to save that one for a bit later in the show. I will... I'm, I'm not satisfied with the one I've come up with yet. I think it needs a bit more work, so this, that is the point of the whole exercise. A little bit of the way it's written, and a little bit of the way the statement is formed, I'm seeing very much a running man, welcome to the Thunderdome, announcer kind of thing. Okay, so it's a really fucked up game show. Oh yeah, and you know this is of course the the high point of the thing. This is a a little like I dimly remember watching American Gladiators all those all those years ago. I anticipate everyone in in the show was a gladiator of some sort, but the shows the 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 non contestants, the gladiators themselves, they they big them up and so forth. But yeah, the idea that you've gone to the point where the the teams have fanned out into the ruined part of the city and it's it's the time for you know that everyone's been looking for it's time for the death robot to to bump up the stakes and the ratings at the appropriate moment don't know how i'd build a game around that if we take running man as the basis because mm. that does the job nicely and you had you had the home audience you had the in theater audience you had the really annoying presenter 
Killian. Yeah. Then that kind of fits with the it's time for the death robot. Woo! People go mm. crazy. Money changes hands because apparently they're betting on this shit. Mm. I mean, it feels like a survival game. It's probably, you know, falls into the category of not quite your last man standing sort of game, mm. but maybe. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that makes um, sort of role-playing games sort of situation difficult because, you know, the players will quickly work out they don't have to run faster than the death robot. Mm. You could go with something like, I, I'm not sure if it ever actually got published, but there was a playtest that was podcast by uh, Fred Hicks of Evil Hat a number of years ago now about a game he was working on called Escape or Die, which was all about... Well, that sort of movie, your Escape from Absalom, Running Man, etc. movies where you've got a group of people, not all of them are going to make it out of the film. By that token, I mean, zombie cinema could do it, but I don't feel has the right, doesn't quite have the right vibe. It's more of an, an all-encompassing doom. Yeah, interesting element. It, it's, I was thinking of it, I've been play, uh, playing a, a video game called Wasted. It's a couple of things, it's a little bit deep. It's a alcohol-themed piss-take of Fallout. It's a procedural first-person shooter kind of thing where you delve into the coolers left behind after the apocalypse where people were supposed to have been preserved cryogenically and ended up being mutated into strange monsters and all of their potable beverages turning into basically magic potions that give you superpowers. See, that has never happened to me no matter how long I have left a bottle of Coke Zero in the fridge. I feel cheated. You probably should have used Fruitopia. <laughs> I don't even know what Fruitopia is, but it sounds awful already. It, it's it's from the nineties. It's the kind of it was um yes that'll be why it's kind of watery fruit juice. Hey, they they had a, an advertisement with a Cocteau Twin soundtrack. That is a very weird choice for a fruit juice. A meditation retreat, yes. <laughs> fruit juice, not so much. Anywho, it has a an aspect where if you get killed exploring these these vaults, you don't have save points. You just get a new wastrel comes in out of the, the desert, finds the shack where you've been keeping your stuff, and the adventure continues. And right, so you're just now the new wastrel. Okay, you just nice. do the wastrel. And when you find the there's some hip flasks of these brews which are a bit which are random and a bit brutal. Some of them are good or some of them are bad. But there's ones at the end of every three levels that you can pick up and you are knocked out, but you get a permanent special ability. And the idea is to actually collect things, survive the traps and creatures and so forth, which is all, all coming at you pretty fast. But to make sure that no one is taking too much time, there is a member of, what is it, the um, Sanctimonious Order of Buzzkills, SOBs, which is an obvious acronym, but is also a reverse of the Brotherhood of Steel, which is a minigun, which is like the Brotherhood of Steel, minigun toting power armor guy who follows you into the vault and slowly hunts you down and makes the whole thing because the the, the thing can branch. You may not get, you may not go to the correct end of the tree the first time. The guy starts off a little bit after you, can make the whole thing quite precarious. So the idea of something pursuing the players into um, this dangerous game show kind of environment is something I've definitely been thinking of in that in that context. Because what's a very silly, you know, especially if it's on special, it's, it's worth, worth a punt. It's a very silly, cartoony aesthetic. It's all dumb puns and things like that. It's an adult swim game. That should tell you a fair amount. But it would be a very different game, and though you can, I think, mod it out at, uh, at this point, it would be a very different game without this lurking presence coming, uh, following you along. I mean, it has a, 
a, a glowing red headlamp which lights the wall it's looking at and it has its own soundtrack that mutes the other stuff which is all terrible 80s crap because it's all 80s themed as well just so you know what you're getting into oh. it really 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 um because it's adult swim they've got access to musicians and so forth and people have done not covers of generic 80s rock it's quite impressive oh sort of sound alike it sounds like a bunch it's like that's eerily familiar but yes this creeping death with a minigun won't kill you immediately but if you get stun locked against a wall you're screwed something that mechanically gives you this incentive to move forward and take risks and after a while you've piled up you've collected enough um the the, the only thing that increases your carrying capacity are, uh, are a- attaching more fanny packs and bum bags to your character <laughs> uh, but you have you've basically collected uh, uh, you know some decent some decent uh, armored garments and some decent weapons you've got some ammunition because it's all very resource intensive initially the the the, um and after a while you just plow forward trying to get to the next sort of the better gear and the better stuff further down but initially you are just being shoved along by this presence which is quite quite interesting take on it i mean i suppose it's it would be a it would be it would be a way of making a dungeon crawl quite brutal or at least a dungeon-crawling kind of scenario. You've got this remorseless thing following. It would ratchet up the tension, because yes, then you can't do the whole thing of, well, we're going to stop and rest up here and get all of our spells back before we assault this room. Or, at very least, you're going to like, okay, we put a trap in this room, because you can get very, you can get quite creative with stacking things up, but you, you, you may just barbecue yourself doing it but yeah you want to like okay so we will get warning one room away that it's coming but we're not sure how long it's going to be <laughs> yeah so you want a nice noisy trap yep <laughs> one that might slow it down at least for a little while explosive runes or something so it's just you can hear the bang from behind you yep mm. I, I had a thought about the game show variant yep and you know if you were going with this actually works because, I mean, the same the same sort of game, you know, people dying as game show also kind of fits the Hunger Games. Mm, yep, excellent. And possibly Battle Royale. I'm not, I'm not actually seeing Battle Royale, so I can't remember it's, whether it was televised or not. It might have been. It was, it was certainly less game showy. It was more, it was more like a sacrifice than anything. Right. Mm. In that case... Yeah, this this works a little bit more for Running Man than for um, Hunger Games, but using a system or an approach similar to Leverage or some sort of heist game. Mm. So you've got the it's time for the death robot. You basically have a bunch of people who have done whatever it is that got them consigned to this killing in the name of entertainment game show. They're crashing around doing stuff. And the entire reason they're doing it is because it gives them access to something mm. that they wouldn't normally be able to get at. So it, and at some point, the tables get turned. So it is a heist. It's just yeah, that, it is. Yeah. Right. So they're using this as an opportunity to get into the the the, the wasteland where the game is held to get access yeah. to whatever it is. Yeah, that would be really interesting. It's like, and you know. Maybe there is there's those in the know say that you know death robot death schmobot it's you know it it's it's a it's a guy in a fancy suit kind of thing or it's you know you, you they 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 
the 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 environment is dangerous enough that just it clanking around and be and 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 frightening people into making foolish mistakes is is enough you know and it's just more of a it's more of a mascot than anything and then you discover it's like either no no it's your genuine death robot um this is state of the art murder murder bot or or it's just a guy in a suit it's a really good suit though um mm. it's gone from ah, and mm, narrative you know, narrative impulse directs me to have to think that you know, possibility uh, the possibility of turning the uh, to take control of the robot, turning it around, would be a, a a goal for the characters. I found myself wondering whether you, if you went with the the somewhat Thunderdome approach, that you've still got this this hideous game show, but you have got an apocalyptic thing, and this you know, the death robot is is the mascot of the show because it's a leftover from the mm. world before. Yeah. And the death robot is the focus of the heist. Nice. So you've got the last cyberneticist or something like that. I was like, mm. you know, they've just basically put it inside the Colosseum or the, 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 the whatever place that they've managed to pen it. And they're using it as, <laughs> they're using it effectively as a mechanical bull, but as in bullfighting rather than um, a test of... Mm-hmm. Uh, Test of test of, of, of of strength slash um, tenacity, mm. and it's just lurching around following its programming. But it is also possibly the most valuable article left in the in, in the uh, the remaining civilization. Hmm. Hmm. No, I like that actually. That's that's really good. The idea that you're the infidels feed them to our the feed them to our metal god. Wait a minute. What are they doing? <laughs> Why are you stealing our metal? Hey, come back with that. <laughs> That's not yours. Yes. We're still making payments. <laughs> nice. I do like that, actually. Yeah, they, they, either either the um, corrupt and decadent um, future deadly game show or, or the um, the post-apocalypse idea, the idea that you're, you're using this... Um, obviously obscene waste of human life to well to your entry into this this process to subvert it i do i like that hmm. no that that, that that pushes buttons death robot buttons yes because that wasn't creepy at all um <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have stuff on um on from the various forums mm. and and from a, a, a comment so what order should we attack these in um, with our death robot powers? Death robot powers. Um, I will let, – let's go with Taz's first as he got in on the thread. The thread blew up a little bit the last week, which is lovely to see. People – we won't go through all of it because we encourage um, people who have not checked out Fear the Boot forums to do so and to chuck in their two cents or, well, two small novellas worth, depending on who you are. Yep, we have – Yes, I mean, it all really kicks off with um, Kitamono chiming in with his uh, background on the Magic Police game that he ran. Mm. And, um, which, which is disturbing enough to leave in its, um, to leave intact in its, its, the state there. Yes, pictures and diagrams. In the show notes. <laughs> yeah, it is well worth reading. It is, um, yes, it's, and that sort of kicks off, uh, kicks off a thread. Um, we have, a, a chiming in from Zerka, who somehow checked the specs and informs us that at 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 
molten Pepsi will eventually dissolve flesh off bone, and at zero degrees, Diet Mountain Dew does a phase change, but still tastes funny. I, I, I only have one question, and that is, where on earth can you check the specs of the temperature at which molten Pepsi will dissolve flesh off bone? And indeed, who tests this? FDA. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> that for Ditch's basement is very well equipped. What's he building in there? <laughs> Death robot? <laughs> um, um, that, yes. And, and Taz has provided us with a uh, death robot suggestion of his own, mm. uh, which I will now read. Galvanic Man threw a Herculean punch and literally knocked the vault door off its hinges. Beyond was the final chamber in the gauntlet he had endured. He knew what to expect and stro- strode through the gaping hole in the dust. Lord Blight, Rex to his few friends, cringed. Those vault doors cost a lot of money, and they never seem to do the job. He straightened his lab coat. Galvanic man, so we meet again. They both sighed, and by chance said at the same time, It's time for the death, robot. Light paused, rubber-gloved finger over the button that would launch the multi-ton death machine at Galvanic man. Have we really become that predictable? Galvanic man nodded, and willed away his metallic skin, seeing the villain had dropped his hand away from the console. This is at least the eighth or ninth time I've had to smash my way in. Have you ever, you ever thought of installing a doorbell? It's good highlighted the crease on his face, his graying sideburns looking more distinguished than elderly. Lord Blight rubbed his bald head, his hair, long, his hair lost long ago, in single-minded pursuit of cutting a chance. We seem to be in a rut. Galvanic Man sighed again and sat down the edge of the fallen vault door. True, you'll launch another robot and escape while I smash it to bits. Well, colour is this one. Gold. Matches the colour of the door you just kicked in. Galvanic Man just shrugged. Just shrugged. I did knock. Rex lifted his goggles to his forehead. Have you ever thought about retiring? How can I, with my arch nemesis still on the loose? What, what if I call my career quits as well? I've sides to do. It doesn't involve melting the Washington Monument or dissolving good citizens of New York City. Besides, I'm currently dating again. You? I thought card-carrying mad scientists weren't allowed to have a social life. It happens. Well, we can't really shake hands on it. I'm just going to leave through this, the clever escape route I always have. Galvanic Man nodded again. Yeah, you're, we are creatures of habit. Have a good day, Kyle. Kyle slash Galvanic Man's eyes widened. So you know? It was Lord Blight's turn to shrug. I've known for at least ten years, but I have no desire to mess with your private life. I might be mad, but I do have my own code of honour. When I say I'll retire, if you do, I mean it. Galvanic Man stood up. Have a good life, Rex. Stay out of trouble, and I'll stay in retirement as well. Both men parted. They knew that they would have to mentor a new next generation. The next battle would be fought with sidekicks and henchmen. Nice. Mm, it's a nice little tale. I'm getting a real Mega Man vibe out of the uh, <laughs> the yes, <laughs> the the, fa- the fading glories and the the, the <sighs> again <laughs> kind of thing. But, yeah, I like it. Yes, thanks. And yes. Just the idea of the, um, yeah, sort it. Should we both just retire because we're done with this shit? Mm. Yes, thank you, Zerka. We have from Trigger Happy 938 on the topic of time for the death robot. It is years in the future, but not many. Earth has been largely expended and used up. Arcs to the stars were built, and those with the wealth or influence left Earth long ago. But they did not leave without any thoughts towards possibly returning someday to Earth. Before they left, the best and brightest, 
put into motion a plan that would hopefully return Earth to its former glory and make life better for the poor souls who got left behind. The designated Earth Assistance Technology hardworking robots were equipped with the latest advancements in AI technology. They came in all shapes and sizes, from massive mobile incinerators to swarms of residue-devouring nanomachines. They would return Earth to its former glory alongside the humans left behind without the means to do so themselves. The remaining humans didn't have the technological know-how to create, repair, or control the bots, but the bots were designed to be smart enough to not need any assistance in their tasks. Things went wrong, but not in the way many doomsaying stranded humans protagonized. There was no great revolt. The robots didn't hold a grudge over their position or have designs on replacing humanity. But their jobs were quite dull, and their evolving intellects quickly reached a point where they thirsted for stimulation. Unfortunately, due to some limitations of AI technology at this point, the robots were incapable of creating material to slake their thirst for mental stimulation. They lacked creative spirit. They could consume media, but they couldn't create it. At first, nobody took all this that seriously. Sometimes a robot would ask to hear a story or something, and oftentimes local humans would oblige, but it wasn't long before the decades of monotonous geoforming overcame the abilities of those disparate anecdotes to break the dull existence the robots were faced with. Like most bored, unhappy employees, their focus began to slip. This is when accidents started to happen. The robots never intended to do harm. That said, it's easy to get into the groove of a repetitive job and miss small details that need your attention. For example, the giant incinerator who was burning through piles of rubbish didn't really notice that shanty amongst the pile of rubbish was in fact a shanty or that it had a small family in it. Same thing with the nanomachines in an outhouse. It started to become a thing. So humanity realized that despite the fact that it would rather focus on trying to gather food and survive their modern hellscape existence, somebody was going to have to dedicate some time to creating reading materials so that nobody else would get accidentally crushed, incinerated, disintegrated, welded, or harvested. Thus a team went to work getting an old magazine printing factory up and running and producing regular articles for their enjoyment. Your players are a team of magazine delivery persons. It is their responsibility to travel out into the blasted wasteland that Earth has become and distribute these cheaply produced periodically periodicals, avoiding dangerous flora, fauna, weather, environments, and distracted machines. Most humans don't have time to spend on such reading, but occasionally a curious soul asks, what exactly are those things that keep the robot's attention spans sated? You, as company policy, answer dutifully with the company line. It's like time for the death robots. <laughs> that is such a fantastic setup for that line. Mm. Um, Trigger Happy goes on to say, I would probably go with something fairly pulpy for a game like this. You could do a lot worse than Savage Worlds. You could even do Apocalypse World with fairly little modification. Maybe have the psychic maelstrom be something to do with the robots, like you tap into their wireless hive mind for a moment or something. Anything with enough crunch to deal with a scrappy group of people dealing with a wide variety of adventures, consequences, or injuries could do, really. I like the idea that somebody in the group is a writer or a reporter who is on assignment to write about the group. They could probably double as the party face or something. With minimal modification, this could also be a mission in paranoia. Friend Computer requires the troubleshooters to distribute good, wholesome capitalist reading material to the death robots. You like capitalism, don't you, troubleshooter? You're not a commie mutant traitor, are you? This could easily be a one-shot or a series of episodic adventures. If you're wanting something with a larger overarching story, perhaps there is something more nefarious to the robot's behavior that the party can slowly start uncovering. Maybe that flaw was known to the elite who left, but they saw it as more of a feature. Maybe a way to shut the robots down is discovered, but it becomes a question of stopping this very powerful force for the Earth's recovery or continue living in fear. The possibilities are as endless as the sci-fi post-apocalypse genre. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Yeah, the idea that the robots are merely unsatisfied with their lot in life, not actively revolting, but just sort of like you know, feeling a bit blah. That's quite yeah. That's quite easy to sympathise with. Yes. Yeah. Any anybody who's worked that kind of job, yeah. Mm. I mean, I do imagine that depending on the size of the incinerator bots, what you're eventually going to get is shanty towns on the backs of the giant incinerator bots because it's the one place that won't get burned. <laughs> also, it's warm. Uh, <laughs> mm, that's true. <laughs> Cooking over the incinerator fires. Mm. Yes. Okay, so it's like a creepy version of Wally, but it is a little bit. Um, it is a little bit puzzling that there was the one. Were there other trash compact? Oh, there were other trash compacting robots. It was Wally was the last one that survived. Yeah, Wally yeah. was the one who sort of presumably suffered enough. Well, suffered the sort of breakdowns that were repairable and ca- and learned how to repair himself mm. and didn't just and possibly slowed him down enough so he didn't wind up winding up in in dangerous and um places so yeah that was always my interpretation that um yeah he was just the last one left by a combination of a little bit of luck and quite a lot of good judgment mm. interesting because he did clearly sort of collect spare parts Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, trying to keep the giant Earth moving, sentient Earth moving equipment entertained, or at least you know, mollified enough that they uh, do their um, their various tasks around your settlements rather than through. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Trying to get an interview with a nano swarm. <laughs> that could be exciting. Yeah. Hmm. It was. I'm trying to. Th- Think back, there was actually a 2000 AD series called Metal Zoic, where um, the Earth was in a machine age, where basically everything was robot everything, um, you know, and all of the um, the creatures would be replaced by robot equivalents, and it was an entire ecology. And humans were around, but they kind of just were just living in the in the gaps, like the, um, the mammals before the uh, dinosaurs went extinct. And yes, there's a, mm. that's quite a violent tale of um, warring tribes and of machine apes and so forth. And uh, terrible puns with uh, creatures like wieldy beasts um, oh. and, and so forth. Yeah, there was lots of, lots of stuff like that. Um, Zerka did crop up with um, trying to think up some D-E-A-T-H acronyms, mm. including Department of Earth Action Team Helpers. Debris excavation and trash haulers, and duplicitous extermination agents for total healing. The meek are expendable. Yes, I like that. I'm looking for a hook for something to, you know, the the reason that that, that would drive you to go out and like the sense the the central driving thing that would say, okay, we're going to deal with this problem now and this problem, rather than, and mm, I just. Not sure of it, unless it's being directed centrally somehow. It's that your task is to do this thing. Well, it depends on whether this is local or a global mm. thing. I mean, I'm getting the idea that travel is is difficult. Mm. That when the elites and everybody left in the ark, they basically took everything useful and left the things that they didn't think were useful, which includes you. <laughs> yes. 
So they're not going to get that greater response when they come back. There's likely to be a bit of bit of ill feeling, yes. Um, <laughs> so it's possible that you're you're doing articles, you know, magazine articles and that sort of thing on potentially on things that the robots might find interesting. So if you sort of realize, okay, there's an enormous kilometer long compactor incinerator uh, composter bot coming directly for this village. Mm. Well, then what we need is to get it to not come directly for this village. So we need an article about something that isn't here. Mm. Or you need an article about the village that makes it sound really, really awesome so that the bot will at least pay attention to it. Indeed. So this is a local news thing. What's directly in your path? Thing. I, I wonder the the possibility of the, the slipping in, like... Um, terrestrial propaganda about you know the star bastards the people who have abandoned the uh, the earth and so forth so just to start fomenting a revolt i like the phrase the star bastards yeah <laughs> uh, the, the idea of possibly yes the forging the, the, maybe if the if the, the the guiding principle is forging a relationship between these ostensibly kind of neutral just doing our job um robots and the, 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 the humans who are just trying to survive. So they, they, so they, they come together to form a more, a, a more cohesive um, community and, you know, possibly at some point take out their frustrations on the star bastards if they ever decide to come back. Yeah, I think that would be a good sort of mm. guiding principle. Yes, if you had some capacity, you know, like the... Oh, Deadlands has a way of affecting the fear rating. I know the Rain mm. um, game had an enormous amount of stuff in it about affecting kingdoms and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and if you assume, yeah, if you assume that you're sort of trying to modify the way that the that the the bots view the world, mm. maybe give, gives it get them to take pride in the job that they're doing, the fact that they're they're, they're helping. The, the inhabitants and so forth, but feel less ah, sympathy. So you can do the yeah. the the, 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 um, yeah, the recycler bot of the month. It's, I was actually trying to think of you know what would the 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 giant landscaping um, killdozer version of house and garden be? <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's kind of trying to come up with you know trying to come up with 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 uh, publications and features and so forth to to really catch the attention of the. Um, Cybernetics today, and you know, lots of it. so they're trying to cobble together from the 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 ruins of the the remaining civilization. You could have a bit of fun, yes, if you also have you know some sort of communications network. So your you know, your area has been doing this glossy magazine. Some other groups have found a you know found a a fairly rough and ready business um, printing press, and so they've been going with. Something that's a more newsprint, but vastly more regular and re- really topical. And mm. somebody else still has a working transmitter, so they've been going with interview shows and that kind of thing. You know, we're here at what used to be known as uh, Mount Rushmore in yeah the old geography, um, where yeah, Landscaper Bot three fifty seven has just unearthed something in- um, interesting. Landscaper Bot, can you tell us what you found? Mm. Yeah, somebody sort of standing in front of a camera just. In, in front of this sort of camera the size of a dustbin, kind of moves the microphone slightly as Landscaper Bot attempts to sound coherent on air. 
Yeah, it's probably not their um, it's probably not their strong suit. Maybe not what they've been been designed to. But, yeah, the idea of the yes, helping this nascent robot life form. You know, suggesting you know, it's like yeah, we're all we're all Earthlings. We all we know what's going on. We're all in this together. Indeed, indeed. This is all. This is this is. It's a worthwhile cause and a good job and and so forth. And yeah, let's let's do the best we can. Yay. Mm. Yes, I think I, I wouldn't want to use Apocalypse World for that version of it. But yes, if you want the, the sort of the grim and gritty reporting version of it, then Psychic Maelstrom as plugging into the the communications systems of the bots, so you can get an indication of who's coming from where, what's happening out there, hmm. either to get some advance warning on what's coming your way, or possibly to get some advance warning on a scoop. Hmm. This sort of thing. Mm. That's, that's a fun one. That would be that would be interesting. And yeah, Savage Worlds or or something. Yeah, something a lot more pulpy for the. And now we take you to an interview with version. It could be. It, it sounds like a very adventuresome game where you could be, you know, ultimately dealing with protein melting nano swarms and or um, giant trundling um, trash compactors and things like that. There could be. Mm. It could be a little bit of like. Uh, non-combat oriented swashbuckling going on to get things done yes yeah cool all right thank you very much trigger happy because that's that's pretty damn cool there is also a response to zerka's galvanic man versus lord lord blight we'll chuck in some links mm-hmm. sort of all link, link to the specific bits but to be honest it is actually really well worth reading reading the whole thing this came in from tim on the big red couch site itself and i managed to completely miss the you've got mail message for which i am really really sorry this is a comment on do not miss a visit to the muse and reads it occurs to me that the muse liberation idea could be run from the other side read muse as bound spirit yearning to be a free spirit and it almost becomes just another shadow run although the things required to complete the job could be downright esoteric an astral quest to unsummon a spirit perhaps and of course, that last sentence is almost completely opaque if you aren't familiar with Shadowrun. Yes, I cropped up with an apolo- profuse apology. Yeah, because I should have noticed that message and I just didn't. Yes, I had commented that worryingly, perhaps, that last sentence of yours made total sense to me despite not having played Shadowrun this century. I am curious about what happens once the bound spirit becomes free. Depending on what the bounding, binding magician was like, there could be a touching scene of thank you for freeing me. Building starts to shake. Now, run for your life. Because from memory, and like I said, I haven't played Shadowrun this century, but um, I do remember when the idea of free spirits was in one of the supplements and the GM at the time got really quite into them, which is how our group ended up with a pet Earth Elemental based on Elvis Presley. Right. Yeah, it's it was a weird one. I mean, I say pet. Effectively, he hung around and could occasionally be bribed to do things with enormous numbers of cheeseburgers. Fair enough. I have no idea how in canon that was, but it was entertaining as hell. Yeah, it's. I, I could see it's, it could be a sabotage job because you know I I know that I've I've seen Shadowrun use bound spirits as security devices in various ways mm. have them roaming around parameters and so forth so you know if you if you go if you go hey you don't want to do that you want to do whatever the hell you want mr fire elemental um 
that could be problematic for people trying to uh, look after that property. Mm, you just dismantle the security system by freeing the spirits. Mm. And alternatively, yeah, it brings to mind part of the plot from one of the William Gibson sprawl trilogies, mm. which basically just has to do with an AI getting the locks taken off, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah, imagining a imagining a circumstance where a bound a bound spirit because presumably part of the whole binding thing is you're not allowed to escape. I mean that's kind of the point. Mm. But if the spirit was sort of clever enough and patient enough and sneaky enough to set up the circumstance where somebody else sets it free, so effectively it sets up the shadow runners to come in and save it. Right. So the hiring at a an outside force to secure your freedom rather than uh, is is not somehow covered by the the, the various um, instructions. I suspect it would have to be a bit subtler than that, but sort of setting up the circumstances so that some external force. Mm. Actually, yes, you could link it with the um, the dismantling the security system, setting up the circumstance so that some external force believes that there is something there that mm. they want, and the only way they can get at it is by dismantling the security se- uh, system and freeing that um, freeing that spirit. Mm. It's potentially an elaborate shell game, and so you maybe have the circumstance of the party come come crashing in to achieve their objective. They do the thing. They set fire. They set free the um, the enormously powerful um, spirit. They look around for the thing that it's supposed to be protecting, and the spirit says, "Oh no, there isn't anything. This was just a means to an end." By the way, you should probably start running now because I'm about to take this entire facility and wrap it up into a baseball. <laughs> but it, hey, thanks for the assist. It would be an interesting way to to introduce a new player into your your political slash magical power struggle it's like hey he it, it, it's our friend it scares the living shit out of us but it's our friend <laughs> yes it's an enormously powerful spirit that managed to think its way around being bound yeah this will go well <laughs> that's any problems there. this guy's this guy's side for like ever all the time. It could be, yeah, it could be interesting. I mean, yeah, it sounds like it's a less egregious version of the Shadow Runners get played once more kind of thing that happens quite a lot. I have never been a huge fan of that one, my own self. Mm. The Shadow Runner, well, the and the Mister Johnson tries to kill you. Um, never been a fan. It appears in the game literature and the the game proper, so. But yes, it's it's not possibly the most well well loved trope in the setting. I think it's possibly because I've just never seen the version of it where where a bunch of different shadowrunners from different groups team up and go and kick the mortal shit out of the Mister Johnson in question. I've never <laughs> seen that one happen. <laughs> Somehow it's played out in your mind. <laughs> it seems reasonable that at some point, if you've got a Mister Johnson who keeps just betraying and trying to kill people rather than um, paying them. It's only going to take a couple of times, yeah, one time when that doesn't work or a couple of times when that doesn't work that you, what you're just going to get is a team up of, right, let's just go and kick the shit out of him a lot, shall we? Yes, let's. Well, I would, I would anticipate that while Shadowrunners do not trust one another specifically, they would 
cheerfully stay in contact regarding the trustworthiness of people who give them jobs. And I would anticipate the kind of work that they do, they would only trust certain people to fix, fix them up with certain kinds of jobs. Mm. And it would probably feel a little less like, what are we doing today? Well, the GM's given us exactly one thing to do for the guy we don't like or trust. Nah. <laughs> yeah, we could or not. I mean, I, I, I like a good betrayal, but a, a good heel turn is, is, is can be a beautiful thing, but it should not be the only flavor of sandwich in, in the, the deli. It should be, you should, it should come as a, a, it should come as a heel turn. Not every time you've played Shadowrun, your, your Mr. Johnson has turned out to be a cyborg, um, a remotely controlled cyborg infiltrator of some sort. Um, or just yeah. just a general dick weasel. Ooh, nice, nice phrase. I would like to chuck that into uh, into a a shadow runny sort of game. I mean, equally, you could you could take that and turn it into a um, drop it into any sort of fantasy game fairly easily. Mm. Or you know, the 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 enemy has a terrible weapon, and we must we must neutralize it, or we must rescue the princess. Kind of thing. It's like oh, we've been we've been given a quest to do something, and it's like uh, actually, we just kind of let the genie out of the bottle literally and it was a mm. big ass bottle that seemed you know it would seem extravagant but maybe not <laughs> the players get yes the players get duped they, they, they have not not done precisely what they thought they were going to do but the recipient of the largesse appreciates them for it slightly and they have an ally they got an ally that probably wigs them out but it's like uh we know something about this 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 new entity in who's who's entered the world. Less than we'd like to know, and we're not certain it's the best uh, the best idea ever. But you know, we're going to roll with it today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's run with it because this is not a fight we can win, or even really take useful part in. Well, it depends. Maybe they choose sides later. Maybe they know stuff that you know no one else knows because of because of what they end up doing. It's like, you know, we feel personally involved and responsible, and you crazy. That would be interesting, an interesting angle to take. And I do, I do. It is nice for the players to meet with variable levels of success. Mm. Sometimes it's the we kicked ass probably something we didn't want to do when how we think about it dang <laughs> or in this case just a confusing level of success because they did accomplish the job mm. the client is ver- the, the actual client is very happy mm-hmm. the middleman is probably very happy the result was achieved yeah but it wasn't really the result they were expecting yeah that's i like that so that's all the response we have we have some more but i think we can save that because we have an exciting well, you've got an exciting well, thing. I've got a, I've got regular regular stuff coming up, but you've got Gen Con about. Well, you should be shipping off about the time the episode drops. Yeah, I mean this thing will drop. Yeah, New Zealand time at five or six in the morning, depending on time zone in the UK. That puts it early evening, late afternoon. So at that point in time, I should be on my way to Heathrow. Yeah. To face the giant obelisk that wipes your memory. Or is that only incoming? Is that just the... the... I think that's only incoming. Right, the patch, departure lounge is, is, is fine. I think it's it's maybe passport, um, passport related, or at least it was for me. Uh, okay. Because when I came in on my British passport, no problem. 
it was just the New Zealand passport. I had the complete memory blank. Right. It's nothing to do with the 18 hours of brutal jet lag. Yeah, my, my theory on the, the, the mind-wiping obelisk thing is that just I had, at that point, just lost the ability to maintain memory. Though, interestingly, sort of looking at various diary notes for that uh, time period, the memory loss didn't kick in immediately. It was a few, at least sort of one sleep later that it just vanished. Right. They, they, they were not actually, they did not form long-term memories because your brain was just like, nah, screw that. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we've got a couple of things that we are saving for the Gen Con retrospective episode because that will be dropping uh, a little bit after Gen Con. Hopefully that will be interesting. Indeed. Yes, it'll be a long, long way to go to have no good stories to tell. That would suck. I'm also hoping to be, to be able to see the full solar eclipse. Oh, wow. Because that happens the day after Gen Con. Uh, there's some speculation on, you know, reputable news sites and, and Twitter that maybe herald the um, the the end of the Trump uh, regime. So I'll make sure that I get a um, a local cell phone plan with some data. And, you know, if, if it turns out that the solar eclipse is a sign of the coming apocalypse, I'll see if I can Skype in and we can yeah, sort of do an episode about that. Indeed. It'll fit with our various um, favorite tropes quite nicely, I think. Yes. Yeah. So good yeah. luck with that. I hope Gen Con goes swimmingly. And yes, um, you get your uh, return flight before... Um, it all descends into madness and ooze. As do I, and thank you. It's it's going to be a big one. Gen Con number 50. Oh, yes. Once you make it back to um, merry old England, we'll do a recap. Possibly over cups of tea. Indeed. Bah, mine's gone cold. Okay, well, on that note, you definitely need a, a warmed-up <laughs> cup of tea. Incidentally, that was a test. If you'd said, yes, I uh, do, I'll put it in the microwave. Um, <laughs> that's apparently bad. I've been told that. You're not supposed to microwave tea to warm it up again. Or ever. It doesn't work even if you microwave the water and put the tea bag in it's weird it really is it's a little creepy it's a bit fizzy it doesn't quite work all right so thank you for listening to us ramble audience and thank you for quite fantastic suggestions for death robots and other things indeed and we will be back next time with a gen con retrospective plus anything that didn't make it into this episode plus anything that comes up since then what are they doing outside of your flat? I'm genuinely not sure. Thank you very much, everyone, and thank you for listening to It's Time for the Death Robot! Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time. I'm not sure if you're waiting for me to start or, or what. I wasn't going to jump in in case you are about to start. All right. Well, that should actually stay in the episode then. That, I think, encapsulates the core of what the Big Red Couch is really all about. Two yatsas who don't know what they're doing. I don't think we need to inflict that on anyone. <laughs>